Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And you know, Let's Be Blunt has always been all about cannabis or hemp, anything about cannabis or hemp. Every single aspect of it, from the history to, you know, it's now current use and where it's developing. But we've also expanded Let's Be Blunt out to talk about some other things that I know you've heard about, and that's psychedelics. You know, psychedelics have really come into the mainstream in a way in science across the world in the last five or six years, though it's been around as long as cannabis has been around. We're now starting to see that, you know, even the FDA has been authorizing various studies around the country because they've, uh, they've realized the viability of um, psychedelics as a possible, you know, uh, not antidote, but a treatment for everything from PTSD to um, uh, severe headaches and, and lots of other things. And so I'm really excited about doing the show that we're going to do today because according to the published study titled The Use of Psychedelics in Treatment of Medical Conditions, an analysis of currently registered psychedelic studies in the, in the American Drug Trial Registry, there has been a resurgence of psychedelic research that has broadly encompassed the fields of neuroimaging, psychopharmacology to psychology focused mostly on psilocybin and MDMA, researchers are now considering potential of these drugs being used to treat everything from, like I said, in psychiatry to neurological conditions such as addiction, pain, depression, end-of-life anxiety, and things like post-traumatic stress disorder. My guest today is an educator, an author, an entrepreneur who's focused on healing. His new book that's called Triumph Over Trauma, Psychedelic medicines are helping people heal their trauma, change their lives, and grow their spirituality. This guy for psychedelics curious and a guy for psychedelic curious, Dr. Rand Hansen, thank you so much for joining us today. Montel, it is my pleasure to be here. Uh, I have followed your career for decades. I love that you have been in service to others basically your entire life, and I just want to Shout that out and appreciate you for all the work you've done, especially for, veter for veterans. Well, I also appreciate what you're doing right now because I do recognize that even things like ketamine have been helping a lot of our veterans across the country understand that there is an option for them. Some of them it may work for, some it may not, but the option is that using psychedelics has been shown to actually impact combat PTSD, something that I'm very, very much aware of because I work on a protocol that's called RTM, Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories, created by Dr. Frank Bork. Um, it's been around for about 10 years. Finally, this last year has been, you know, designated um, uh, evidentiary medicine, uh, been selected by the ISTSS as one of the, you know, only cures for PTSD that's non-pharmaceutical or non-chemical. So, you know, the area of PTSD, I know very, very well. And I'm so psyched about the fact that for even those that RTM may not work for, you know, psychedelics could work for them. But before we get into the conversation about psychedelics, so I'm psyched that we'll talk about that. Let's talk about you. You know, give me a little bit about your background, sir. Um, i basically been an educator my entire life. That's sort of my self-identification, although this morning I was thinking about Johnny Appleseed and I was like, oh, maybe I should be a healing seed or something like that because that's kind of my passion, as you said in the introduction. Uh, I got into the wellness field about, two th about around 2000 and that became a passion of mine in looking at uh, the, the food we eat. Not looking at diet per se, but more importantly, just the how we eat and, and how we look at food. And then it looked at, then I started looking at exercise, the importance of exercise in our health, and then nature and the power of nature. And so all these different, I guess we'd call them holistic methods, but, uh, and I was more focused on health than on healing. And uh, then uh, really about three years ago, uh, uh, my wife and I were listening to a podcast with Jesse Gould, who is the founder of Heroic Hearts Project. Uh, it's a nonprofit helping veterans uh, heal through PTS and uh, moral injury and things of that nature. And uh, I learned about psychedelics for the first time then. Of course, I had heard about LSD as a kid, as we all probably have in one way or another, or, or other psychedelics, but I had never, never knew of their healing potential. I'd always heard it from the 
just say no in the war on drugs that all these medicines are bad or all these we call medicines all these drugs are bad for us and so i just i just stayed away from psychedelics and then you know hearing jesse's story on this podcast and then you know just doing this deep dive into first ayahuasca which i had never even heard of as a psychedelic and then the whole field of psychedelics just just transformed my thinking about things. And then uh, Dr. Gabor Matei's work on healing and his focus on trauma. And we start looking at these epidemics that we have, angry outbursts and fear and people, we have the highest percentage of people taking prescriptions and uh, all these things going on that it just led me to this realization that we're kind of in this healing crisis in my mind and it seems uh, that, as if, let me just stop you just yeah, a second sure. yeah. I want you to continue what you were talking about because when you talk about when it's healing crisis it seems like the world is in this healing crisis but yeah. led by the United States of America I mean yeah. there used to be a day where we were number one in a lot of things but you know right now the number ones that we can claim you know are ours are things that disgust most people. I mean, we're number one in the world when it comes to gun death. We're number one in the world right now. We, I think we're jumping number one in the world in suicide. Yep. Um, you know, we are number one in the world in um, uh, other forms of violence. Um, when you're talking about outbursts and things, yeah, I think about yesterday, or in the last couple of days, a guy ran to a congressman's office with a baseball bat and just started swinging a bat. And now we find out that the guy has had mental illness for for 20 years of his life. And people who knew knew that he had this mental illness and let him go, you know, a certain amount of time without taking his medication. You know, we are living in a time where as much as we think, and I, I heard you when you distinguish between drugs and medicine, but let's also recognize that even psychedelics have been considered medicines for 5,000 years. Yep. So it's, 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 inc- it's insane how, you know, now all of a sudden we think, oh, well, you know, there may be some value here where the value was identified back in, come on, back in the 1700s, back yep. in the 1800s, back in the 1900s. You know I mean? We knew the value of, of psychedelics. That's the reason why, you know, the CIA and our government try to replicate them by making synthetic versions of, of, of natural uh, psychedelics. So um, I'm sorry, I just want to throw that in for our listeners and our viewers who, you know, tune in who don't really understand. Guys, you have to understand this. I'm not talking about medicine men. I'm not talking about, you know, people in the jungles and off in the Amazon and off in other places. You know, the world recognized value to psychedelics. So let's go two ways. One, you can go back, I think it's 3,000 years, 4,000 years. I've read so many different things. Yeah. Um, but in the last 300, we have utilized psychedelics more than people believe. You know, think about it for a second. And maybe, Doc, you might be able to echo this. You know, if we go back to the mid-1600s, we in our 2023 minds don't remember, but back in the 1600s, they didn't have toilet paper. Poo-hoo. They didn't have water to drink. What? Water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink? Yes, folks. If you go back to the 1600s, they learned that, you know, if they took water and just drank it out of the stream, people were dying. But if they boiled it or if they turned it into a low alcohol content drink, they would lessen the opportunity of getting some sort of intestinal, digestional viruses. So people walked around on this planet 1600s, especially in the United States of America, you know, late 1600s, early 1700s. Come on now. I mean, people don't recognize the fact that this country wasn't built on tobacco. This country was built on hemp. Hemp. And that hemp that it was built on, people knew its medicinal and, you know, uh, psychological effects back then. You had to. Come on now. How was it sleeping at night, 95 degrees with no air conditioning? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you ate a dinner, you had to go out into the bushes by yourself and grab a leaf. What? (laughs) So, So... then take that and extrapolate it to the fact that when we didn't, we don't understand 
PTSD. We're just now starting to find and understand the mechanisms that cause PTSD, recognizing that it's not just something that's psychological, but it's something that's actually in is cellularly changed in your amygdala. Okay, so people need to understand that this is something that makes changes in your brain. Back then, they didn't understand that, but they recognized that there were some herbs and things out there and lick a toad, do some other things and be lifted just a little bit. <laughs> might wake up the next morning feeling a little bit better. Nobody could explain why, but it was something that was gifted to them by the gods, supposedly, right? Yeah. Wow. I, I have a million things I could reply to that, but you are 100% correct. Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of laugh. These medicines are being called, you know, given breakthrough status right now by the FDA and others. But as you said, they've been used for centuries, at least the natural versions of these medicines. And so uh, and then even when we look back into the 1960s, there was all this research done on LSD and uh, work with LSD and psilocybin. Uh, therapists were using this in their therapy sessions, and it was doing wonders until, as you mentioned, the, the military and the CIA were like, oh, maybe we could use this for, for evil rather than good. And then they found out, no, the psychedelics are for good. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I also want to talk about, there's a great story in the book from this uh, woman named Crystal who she works in the cannabis industry. And she said when she first started looking for a job and got a job in the cannabis industry, she became so angry because she had believed all the propaganda that she had learned in school about cannabis, you know, all the evils of this tobacco, this marijuana. And uh, she's in the book because she also did a psilocybin journey, which helped cure or helped her learn how to stop uh, her alcohol abuse problem. And she also then discovered all the lies that had been told about psychedelics. And so part of this problem with, with this whole movement of healing with psychedelics is getting over these 50 years we've had of just say no and uh, the D.A.R.E. campaigns and the war on drugs. You know, most of us remember that fried egg commercial with, you know, here's your brain on drugs. Sure. And, and to think most, that, of that, most of that funded by the tobacco and alcohol industry, by the way, but go right yeah, ahead. Yeah. And, and by the way, tobacco and alcohol deaths number annually in the U.S. in about 600, 700,000 deaths per, you know, annually and psychedelics, barely any deaths. And if, if they are any, it's typically from uh, improper use. So again, just this crazy mis appropriate mis mis uh, organization of these medicines you know we have and especially when you when you look at the fact that our pharmaceutical industry who's pre who's who literally has gone berserk trying to create the strongest opioid that they can create yep. rather than just take advantage of things that naturally occur on the planet yep. so again I'm, I'm sorry i cut you off right while you were explaining okay. what got you interested in psychedelics to begin with it was i've always had a a passion for veterans um and, in the past, I did a lot of career counseling with them because of the, the you know, the typically you, you get off, the, you rotate off, and then you're basically thrown into the civilian world without much training of how, how do you, you know, how do you take your, met, your uh, military work history and apply it to the civilian world. So I've always had a passion for them. And, and what got me into psychedelics and healing was Jesse's, Jesse Gould's story of, that uh, you know, he went to the. He was an Army Ranger, uh, did several tours, came back with PTS, uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, the VA basically said, you know, here are some prescriptions you can take. He didn't want to do that. He was self-medicating with alcohol, which is a fairly typical story of almost anyone suffering with some of these uh, mental health issues, and finally. Through a military buddy, he heard of ayahuasca, had never, you know, he had never even done cannabis, let alone any other drugs, and went down to the jungle and found this amazing healing through this medicine. Uh, as you mentioned, you don't have to go to the jungle to do that. You, you know, uh, psilocybin is a fantastic medicine that's in about 200 different mushroom varieties and 
grows almost all over the world. But it, the, the, what got me interested is this healing. And the amazing thing to me with these veterans, especially, you know, they would go into the, this uh, healing ceremony expecting to deal with the war trauma. And often on that first night, there was nothing about the war trauma at all. It was childhood trauma that they had forgotten, pushed down. You know, we, we think we compartmentalize all these things in our lives that are negative, And all we really do is just uh, lock them down until they explode in some ways. You mentioned whether it's someone, you know, attacking someone in a Walmart parking lot or going to a mall or, you know, any number of different things or sadly committing, you know, uh, taking their own lives. So, uh, that's what got me into this this uh, this rabbit hole, and then just seeing, uh, just as you mentioned, you know, the pharmaceutical big pharma. I you know again not to be too crazy, but in my mind, especially given that we're only one of two countries that allows so much pharmaceutical marketing to be taking place, you know, they it's an industry to keep us sick. You know, we're yes, we're taking prescriptions to do to, to manage symptoms. No question. I mean, yeah. I've also I spoke to a couple of the doctors who have the same philosophy that we manage a sick care system in America, not yeah. a health care system. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at, at uh, even look at PTSD or PTS, it's become a cottage industry, an industry that is, you know, three, four, five billion a year. People are, 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 you know, taking, breaking people over the coals for separate programs and things where now we recognize that there are things that can happen and ways people can approach that, that literally you can be relieved of your symptoms if through, you know, uh, ketamine or through, you know, uh, uh, other forms of psychedelics and things like that in two to three sessions and sometimes in one. Let's talk a little bit about the differences. So those who are tuning in sure. who don't know what we're talking about, you mentioned ayahuasca. There's also psilocybin. There's also uh, ketamine, right? Yep. And, yep. And ketamine is the only quote unquote legal psychedelic right now. Uh, it's scheduled three, but it's allowed to, you know, there are ketamine clinics throughout the US. Uh, so yes, ketamine. Uh, LSD. I, LSD. MDMA. Yep. Uh, what Ibergain. Okay, Ibergain, yeah. Yep. Let's talk about what they are individually. Let's, let's, let's go to Ibergain, Ayahuasca, Psilocybin, those three, those are all plant-based, correct? Yes, yes. Right, and they are naturally occurring plants in the world. Yes. And I want people to understand that, you know, one of the things that you all seem to bank on and think about is the fact that we thought that Albert Einstein was one of the greatest minds on the planet. Well, if you really believe that, well, remember Albert said, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So therefore on this planet, nature gave us what we needed to cure those things that caused the problems. However, we are too damn ignorant to understand that as we continue to rape the rainforest and we destroy plants all over the world, we probably just got rid of you know, in the last hour, since we started talking, we probably burned and destroyed a thousand cures. I, I, I say that because, you know, as we let the rainforest be raped in uh, uh, South America, you know, they are indiscriminately just burning foliage that we've never even identified. You know, you, you look at the Elon Musk of the world and all these billionaires that are trying their best to race themselves to Mars. They ain't a damn thing on Mars I need. I'm going to get within two years. But there's stuff right here on the yeah. planet. Why don't we yeah. research the rainforest and start to figure out that there may be cures for every single illness that exists? Because yeah. again, if you believe Albert, every action equal opposite reaction, illness, cure, illness, cure. I'm just trying to say, so anyway, let's go back to, so we got the three plant-based versions of yeah, and, and I, I just I just want to add, you know, it's just so bizarre to me that that a government or many governments now, because they follow the U.S. lead, can outlaw a plant. Like that's just bizarre. How do you how do you even justify that? But we know it's all political, so we'll we'll skip that. But so so ibogaine, uh, native to uh, the African continent, uh, used as you mentioned earlier for centuries by the the indigenous indigenous peoples there. 
Uh, we're seeing that it is extremely effective for uh, helping with opioid addiction, breaking that addiction. Uh, it's probably, in my mind, the uh, most intense psychedelic. Um, most of the time, uh, or the best practices for this is in a clinic where you're, you're, you have a heart monitor, blood pressure is checked, and doctor medical staff is on, on hand because it does, this medicine especially raises blood pressure, increases pressure on the heart. So you have to be physically uh, stable, physically well to take this medicine. Um, and it's probably the longer lasting, some uh, journeys, as we call them, uh, can last 24 to 36 hours on that medicine. So that's and again, and all these medicines, I should say up front too, these are not things that people want to take recreationally or for fun. I mean, Ibogaine, if you hear the stories of these veterans, and again, a lot of veterans uh, are, are go, go to Ibogaine retreats, you know, this is horrible, uh, painful, um, you know, you're purging, you're getting rid of things, you're not sleeping, you're uh, you know, having these experiences. So it's not, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, it's, uh, I want to have a fun weekend away and do Ibogaine. So uh, I just want to make that clear that all these medicines are really, truly helping people do the work of, of healing themselves. So I, so, and, and even but, though, yeah. even though in the past, even though in the past they weren't basically sanctioned by doctors, right? there were people who administer them even in the remote areas of the world. Yeah. Um, Ibogaine, as you talk about, when was administered as a healing substance, but also was used for several years, uh, what, 16, late 1600s, yeah. uh, 15, late 1500s, 1600s, as a poison. Yeah. So they used to also go to war and like dip, you know, arrows in little Ibogaine because if you just nick somebody, you could send somebody off to, you know, the oblivion just for that. So this is not something that we're not talking about something that we're suggesting that anybody who's tuned in listening to would do on their own. Right. We should be all really managed with a guided therapist who can guide you through and carry on. And, you know, again, everybody's levels are a little different. So, you know, hitting that precise amount um, you know, it's either a hit or a miss. I mean, you might take too much, and next thing you know, you're tripping for days, or you might take too little. And if that was the experience that you were looking for, you're not going to have it. However, there is and has been, they've been showing some some validity to micro dosing these things, yep. right? Yep. And we can we can definitely get into that. And I, I just uh, I uh, just lost my train of thought on something you said. Well, we don't have to go. We don't have to go to microdosing right now. Let's still yeah. Let's go. Let's finish the thing. We'll come back to microdosing sure. for sure. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, ayahuasca. Uh, it's a combination of a root and uh, uh, leaves of a shrub. Yeah. Yeah, it's native to South America, and uh, again used for centuries for healing. It's a community process where usually you are in it. Oh, I know what I was going to say. We'll come back to that. Usually in a uh, a group setting, 12, 15 people and a shaman and a healer that's guiding that process. Again, I want to emphasize what you said, uh, Montel, that so if you if you're after this podcast, you're interested in, in considering a psychedelic journey, then there are the legal best ways to do it. There are clinicaltrials.gov. There are clinical trials going on all across the country. Uh, so many universities are jumping on the psychedelic bandwagon. So uh, you can go there and see if there's a, a, a clinical trial near you. There's also a website called retreat, retreats.guru, which uh, lists retreat centers worldwide that are legal and have all these protocols in place, as you just mentioned. So, yeah, you want to have these safety protocols in place. You don't want to go down to the local bodega and buy yep. that bag of mushrooms there that says it's got psilocybin on it, microdose, and think you can do this on your own. You yeah. can't. Don't yeah. be an asshole. Don't be yep. stupid. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Because, um, and, and that, that's something that's also a little scary, but I want you to go ahead and continue to explain the differences so that our listeners will yeah. come back to that. But okay. the fact that, you know, bodegas all over the Northeast are selling mushrooms right out of, you know, a bodega. But um, say, you know, such a certain amount of psilocybin, you know, this this amount is a microdose. It's like, I, I, I really find, I think that's like crazy dangerous. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. I would not, especially with with fentanyl being laced with everything, putting everything, I would never buy anything off the street. And, and that's, again, we can come back to that, but that's also one of the, the reasons we're trying to push for psychedelics to be rescheduled because right now, as you know, wintertime there's a war on anything, in this case a war on drugs, the black market is is such a detriment to lives to uh weapons guns all you know violence all these things so but we'll, we'll come back to that um so ayahuasca again uh, a, a a pretty powerful brew um typically done like I said, uh, most of the retreat centers illegal retreat centers are in south america there are some in mexico some in costa rica uh colorado amazingly approved Ibogaine, so there'll probably be some Ibogaine clinics popping up in, in Colorado once they figure out what this, the exact process is. But right now, none in the U.S. Um, I'm sorry, that was Ibogaine. Ayahuasca, uh, uh, there are, uh, I think right now, that's just South America, uh, Mexico, and uh, Costa Rica. I think you may have uh, there may be a couple places in Southern California and California that have just now been licensed. They were ketamine. Facilities and okay. now been licensed to be able to do on a case-by-case basis some ayahuasca, but I might be wrong. Okay, um, well that'd be again that'd be fantastic. You know, we're mm -hmm. we're we're seeing all this movement, and it's it, it, it is hard almost sometimes day to day what what's going on. Uh, psilocybin, probably again magic magic mushrooms as a lot of people call them, uh, probably the most commonly used uh, psychedelic, just because like I said they're available so many different ways um and i'm so happy to finally see research on psilocybin because again lsd and psilocybin use recreationally so much that there's sort of a stigma against them and there shouldn't be because the the, the science is proving that just like many of the other psychedelics uh they have profound effects uh i should say so so i began we talked about 24 to 36 hours ayahuasca is about uh an eight hour experience, depending on whether you have a second dose of it during the process. Sometimes uh, people do that. And then uh, psilocybin is magic mushrooms. Uh, it's typically about a four to five hour experience. Um, it's a very inward journey, which I happen to love uh, about that medicine. Uh, it, it's It will take you inside and it will see help you see what you need to see and you have just have to be prepared to to deal with that and we can talk about preparation down down there too so those are the three yeah those are the three uh, well we could also add mescaline because uh san, san pedro cactus uh and i don't like i almost don't want to mention it because it's such a touchy subject but peyote uh which is an indigenous people's sort of substance but contains mescaline that's also a natural psychedelic uh, and those effects are uh, about eight to 10 hours in length. Um, that's probably the least studied psychedelic medicine right now. I, I don't know really any research studies with mescaline, but I think there, there'll, there'll be some coming on board with that as well. And then what is this, uh, what is the, the chemical that's on the back of a toad? Ah, uh, Bufo. So 5-MeO-DMT, uh, also controversial because uh, these toads are only grow in a very small region, part of Mexico and Texas. And you don't have to kill the toad to get the venom, which is what they do for this medicine. But uh, because the toads are all over the place, they get run over as people are chasing them down. Uh, this is the shortest psychedelic. It's uh, it's one that's smoked, typically uh, inhaled, and it happens 
uh, you smoke, it had the effect is almost immediate and uh, it lasts maybe about half an hour. Um, very profound effects. People say they get sh shot into space. Uh, it's not a typical psychedelic where you see colorful images. For most people, it's almost like seeing nothing. There, there is nothing. Life is nothing. And then all of a sudden, they're shot back into their bodies. Um, but from this process, they see that the world is infinite and you know, that there's tiny speck in this, in this great world, this great universe. Got it. And then um, MDMA? MDMA, uh, some, again, some people know it as ecstasy, which is not really what MDMA is. MDM, MDMA is the pure substance. Ecstasy, again, as we've talked about with psilocybin, can sometimes be cut with many other drugs. So the typical party drug you might have gotten in a bar down the road is not MDMA that we're testing. But this medicine is amazingly heart opening. Uh, it's yeah. a fact, it's a chemical, heart opening. So that, and, and it, it, it allow it, and with veterans again, and I'm just speaking with veterans because it's, it's amazing to see this, this transformation, but with any, any people, but it allow, it, it allows you to drop your guard. So it allows you just to speak freely about almost anything and there's no filter. And so it allows you to talk about the trauma in a way that's almost as if you're not engaged, you're, you're just an observer and you're just discussing, oh yes, this happened to me. You know, 10 of my buddies died in that, in that uh, explosion. And I see that and, and I understand that there's nothing I could do about it. And, and, and so it's just this amazing process. It's also used in couples therapy because it's a chance for the couples just to really have a true heart to heart conversation with each other. Um, this medicine is typically also about a four hour uh, journey, although it can, a lot of people boost it in the middle of the process with a booster dose and then it may go to about eight hours in that process. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing so much research in this area. Uh, it it will probably be the first psychedelic rescheduled by the F, uh, by the DEA. Um, uh, Rick Doblin of Maps, who's done just amazing research with MDMA, uh, expects that the FDA will approve it for therape therapeutic use in 2024. Wow. Wow. Well, look, okay, so now do you talk a lot about this in your book uh, that you just published? And I want you to tell us a little bit about the book, but the book is called Triumph Over Trauma. Where can people get it first? Uh, best places are Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any online bookstores, uh, probably the best bet. And is there a website for the book itself? Yes, it's triumphovertraumabook.com. All right, so now does Triumph Over Trauma cover what we just talked about? Yes, uh, the book is sort of in three parts. The first part is an overview of the psychedelic, the true psychedelic history uh, from the early indigenous use to the many wars on drugs, not just in the US, but the uh, Spanish government did a war on drugs, the Catholic Church did a war on drugs. But uh, and then, yes, detailed information about each of these uh, psychedelic uh, medicines, how they're used, how they're best used, how, what, what research is being shown to uh, have positive effects. And uh, a little bit about what to me is the geekiest but coolest part of psychedelics, which is this neuroplasticity, which we can get back to in a minute. The second part are 20 stories of healing, spiritual growth transformation of people that took a, a different variety of these medicines. So what I try to do is find as a wide variety as possible. So I have uh, as many from the BIPOC community as I could get. I have more. Well, can, you share, well, can you share a couple of those stories of different, different you got sure. share, share one or two. Uh, the, probably the most powerful story in my mind is a story by a woman named Allison, who um, is the wife of a Navy SEAL, 
and uh, beautiful on the outside, looks like a beautiful marriage. They had five children. Uh, everyone called her husband a hero, uh, patted her on the back, said, you must be so proud. Uh, um, and, and, and while all those things were true, she uh, was already, prior to him becoming a Navy SEAL, was already dealing with some elements of depression and anxiety. And he would be gone from their lives for three quarters of the year. Most of the time, didn't know where he was on some mission out of the country. Couldn't be told, obviously. And uh, they moved something like 10 or 11 times in 12 years of marriage, just constantly on the go. And she uh, uh, tried to find community with some of the other wives of the Navy SEALs, but they ended up just being sort of what she called kind of bitch sessions, just complaining about, you know, the military in general or why, you know, they can't get their husbands to do things, et cetera, et cetera. And so she stopped going because it just made her feel worse. And she always uh, had anxiety about getting that knock on the door. You know, her husband didn't make it. And then she started wanting that knock on the door and have it be over. And then she felt more guilt over that expression, that desire. And she was trying to manage her home. And her husband came home, uh, retired from as a Navy SEAL. And he went and got healing through Ibogaine and came back a changed man. And she said, I should have been happy. I should have been, oh my God, I have my husband back. Instead, she got even angrier because she was like, what about me? You know, I've, I've sacrificed my life, I, I this and that. And uh, he suggested, you know, suggested psychedelics. She said, no, no, I don't believe in drugs. Although ironically, she was self-medicating with alcohol and her doctor was giving her Xanax and upping that dosage every time she was saying it wasn't working. Um, and finally, one day she called her husband. She was, they were moving to Colorado and she was still on the East coast. And she said, <laughs> if you don't get me help today, you know, I won't be here tomorrow. <laughs> And she went to a, a, a treatment center. Uh, she did MDMA and psilocybin. Uh, also interesting that we're now doing some combinations of these psychedelics for healing, which is a fascinating thing to me. And we're just doing the research on this. So this is sort of cutting edge, but, and then in her story, in her journey, and you know, Allison's story, I have, probably read it, talked about it a hundred times. You can see how deeply it's still sure. it's just so powerful. In her journey, she saw this little girl. And a lot of times in a psychedelic journey, you see a little child. And oftentimes it's you, your little, we call that the inner child. And so she thought, oh, it's just me as a little girl. But then, no, it wasn't her. It didn't look like her. And she thought, oh, well, maybe it's one of my dogs. Oh, and then, then, the, then the, the little girl said, uh, Mom, Mommy, I'm okay. And she's, oh, it must be one of my daughters. But she looked and it wasn't. And it turned out it was, um, she had had an abortion when she was a teenager and had totally pushed it out, blocked it down, had basically forgotten about it and uh, had had this beautiful life. But obviously had had this guilt ever since that time. And so this little girl said, I'm fine. Don't worry. Stop worrying about it. And in this process, she just felt this love that she had never felt for the first time. And this is one of the, the classic things we hear about psychedelic journeys that this, this unconditional love that we never got from our parents or our partners or whomever, and yet they felt it in this experience and she felt this bliss and this comfort and she came out of this experience with this 
hope for the future. And she actually then started this nonprofit called the Hope Project uh, to help other military spouses, which I just love because I love that we focus on the veterans, but those military spouses are dealing with a lot of crap. Absolutely. Also. And I want to make sure people understand that all the proceeds from your book go to that share pit, do they not? Yes, yes. Uh, th this was this. Uh, I never intended to write a book, uh, and we can talk about that in a second. But yes, uh, the I was sort of uh, told in my process of, of developing this book that, that this would be all, you know, the 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 goal, the idea is I just want people to heal. That's my agenda. All the profits are going to these healing nonprofits. I, I want this to be sort of a win-win-win for everybody. The, the person reading the book wins because they can then start looking at a way to possibly find healing for themselves or a loved one. It's a win for the greater community because once we heal, we start healing, helping heal others. And then it's a win for these nonprofits because they can uh, get additional funding. Not that books make great a lot of money, but it's at least some revenue that's going to them to, to continue sure. the, the, the healing. Sure, no, great. So why do you think it took, you know, the, the rest of the medical world so long to embrace something that they knew worked? I, I That's the big question. I know why the politicians went against it, and certainly we know why... Richard Nixon did it, but I don't know why the doctors jumped into it. I, you know, I, I've seen uh, interviews with researchers back in the sixties who just said, you know, the DEA came in and said, we pulled your license, you're shut down. And they just took it as, well, that's the end of that. And, I, you know, they didn't fight it. And I, I was just really shocked by that because, and then medical doctors, uh, you know, happily we are seeing some therapists that are, right behind here pushing for this healing of psychedelics being reclassified as a therapy for their practices so i think we're seeing that but i don't know why uh why the medical community is that way except again if you want to follow that uh all the money there uh, I, the thing that got me into the wellness also montel that we we're talking about kind of go back to the beginning is i had a primary care doctor 20 years ago, I'd been to him multiple times for an annual wellness checkup. And this one time he said, the first thing he said to me is not, hi, how you doing? Or, hey, I haven't seen you in a year. What's going on? He said, what prescriptions can I get you today? And that's when I knew the world had kind of changed. And uh, that's where we are today, where doctors are like, yeah, what prescription do you need rather than, you know, how can we heal you? What What's the healing modality that will work for you? And that's bizarre. Yeah, the world had changed when a doctor would say that. But then well, what do you think? He was willing to write you a prescription for anything else that we've now figured out doesn't necessarily work that well, but yeah. wasn't willing to embrace what we know works. What do you think turned the corner? You know, I, I look at uh, medical schools, and, and you've probably seen this too, Montel, where nutrition, which used to play such a big role in medicine and in, in, in our health, I think doctors get, you know, a couple hours on nutrition and the power of, of food as medicine. And so I think we've just turned to this model, uh, you know, if you look at the the everything is a disorder now and there's a pill for everything. And I, I just feel like we're medical school is, well, I think, I think Western medicine is amazing for emergency, for surgery, for so many things. It, it just doesn't get mental health. Uh, you know, even from back in the days where we had the hospitals, you know, similar to what was in One Flew in the Cuckoo's Nest and other things, you know, we just haven't got, gotten it. And we we lock up people rather than uh, find treatment for them. And uh, Well, we kill them. I don't know if you heard about it. Well, yeah, yeah. Recently in New York on a subway, there's a guy who's mentally ill, and we applaud a person for killing them. This is like, you know, just, I'm going to kill you. I have a right to kill you because you scream. I have a right to kill you because you annoyed me. Stop it. I, I just do not understand 
this mentality of hate that we have that's that's so pervasive right now. And I think that when you know, some of if some of these people who hate so badly were to utilize psychedelics, they might recognize that the world's a little different than they thought it was. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned earlier, and someone said to me a couple of weeks ago when I was chatting with them that he thought the world was in a depression. And I think that's kind of an interesting metaphor because, as you said, uh, there's so much hate, and I agree. It's 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 sad. It's frightening. It it, it makes me angry. Well, you know, I'm angry too because you know I don't want to believe what a small segment of the society is trying to make me believe. Yeah. And, you know, you live in a world, I live in a world where I try to look at everything, not half full, but close to full. Ain't nothing bad unless we make it bad. However, we have a group that's on the rise demographically worldwide that wants to fight against man's own humanity to man that is sick of you know they it's almost like evolution has stopped in certain groups and demographics we no longer want to evolve we just want to be able to result back to our neanderthal days um and um you know try to fix things with brute force that's the reason why we look at you know See, I have a little different take on even what's going on in America. We Every time there's a shooting, somebody says, well, shoot us mental illness. Bullshit. It ain't just mental illness. It's a fact that there are so many people who have pressed so hard in the last 20 years to take the filters off, yep. to think that filters were bad, to think that the evolving to understand our kinship or our fellowship with others has evolved into making sure we can determine our differences in others. And so we're living in a time where, you know, I even look at on a daily basis. I mean, I turn on the television. There was another mass shooting yesterday. There's another mass shooting. You know, and again, I say this thing about the fact that America has very little to be proud of being number one at, especially when it comes to the fact that we have, what, close to 200 people a day are shot with shot and 120 of them, I think, die every single day. And out of 120, I think the number is around 15 of them are kids making it the biggest cause of death in America for children. Now, are you kidding me? So, you know, um, yeah. And then we look at the way the pharmaceutical industry approaches mankind and that's, we're nothing more than, you know, a checkbook for them. We're nothing more than, you know, a a monetary solution. That's the reason why we advertise so hard. You know, I go out here right now, I turn on the television between my sessions, and I'll bet you in 30 minutes, I will see at least five ads for some form of pharmaceutical that's bullshit, that causes more problems than the pharmaceutical seems to solve. So I got to get off off my my head. We're running out of time, my friend. Oh, I know, but can I can I just say one thing just to follow up on what you said? Because sure. I know we're running out of time, but you know what what one veteran in uh, told me after psychedelics, you know, and, and healing, he said just what you kind of echoing what you said, and he said if everyone took psychedelics, there'd be no war, because when you realize that we're all brothers and sisters in this great consciousness. It changes. How do you shoot your own brother? How do you shoot your own sister? And so I think, I think, part of solving this hate and fear and anger is healing. It might not necessarily just be psychedelics or other modalities of healing, but I think that trauma. There's trauma fueled by this hate, as you're talking about. There's, there's hateful voices, and it escalates that trauma even more. And so there are two parts. I think there's two problems. Yeah, we need to get rid of that hate somehow. But the healing will help that person say, I don't need that hate speech anymore because I realize that there is love, there is life, there is hope. You know, healing allows you to <laughs> uncover your true self. Sure. It would be amazing if we could somehow slip you know, <laughs> micro doses of something like psilocybin into every 
water source in the world so that everybody got a little micro dose and wake up in the morning not giving a shit about somebody else's problem but digging inside of themselves look yeah. one more time yeah. let me just make sure our viewers know the book is called triumph over trauma psychedelic medicines are helping people heal their trauma change their lives and grow their spirituality that book is out it is a guide for psychedelic uh, for the psychedelic curious and it's by Dr. Rand Hansen, Dr. Hansen, look, I got to tell you, my friend, I, I'm so sad that we've run out of time, but um, I want to have you back. So please, that. you know, I have Mel reach out to you and let's let's figure out a way that we can continue this conversation because yeah. I think there's so many people so interested in the idea they've been fed a lot of false information. This is yeah. not a party drug. This is not yeah. something for you to think, okay, yeah, I'm going to go have a trip and yeah, get with my fans and get my groove on. No, 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 no. This is something to actually, I like the idea of resetting, not just this planet, but this is a way to reset yourself. Yes. And we do understand that psychedelics have profound effect, not just psychologically, but physically, because it does actually change the molecular structure of the amygdala and several other areas, the pons area of the brain. Yep. So we know its effects, and when you were talking about it, it provides for neuroplasticity. This is what the doc is really talking about. We've seen that people who have come out of psychedelic experiences have experienced some form of neuroplasticity at the same time. So again, I go back to if you think that Albert Einstein was the greatest mind of the last century, he was really a foreteller of this because he was trying to tell you that every action is equal and opposite reaction. And for those of you who don't know, Albert Einstein used to smoke a little uh, cannabis every now and then. So, hmm, might have been something there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Steph, for being a part. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. Are you going to say? You going to say? Oh, I was going to say, you know, and, and cannabis is a master plant, so much healing there as well. Uh, so all these plants do do tremendous things for us. One more time, I want you to do the shameless plug. Go ahead. Where can they go to get more information? <laughs> uh, triumphovertraumabook.com. And they can find me on LinkedIn if they want to connect with me there. Okay, my friend. Well, thank you so much. I want to reconnect with you. So let's do it sometime soon. Okay. Okay? Wonderful. Right. I love it. You be thank well, you, sir. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.